Welcome to the YA Cafe, where we share conversations about books for teachers, readers, and caffeine addicts everywhere. On today's episode, we'll be talking about The Hazelwood by Melissa Albert. Grab a mug of your favorite beverage, friends, and let's talk books. Find even more book reviews, teaching ideas, and secondary ELA resources at teachnouvelle.com. Welcome, y'all. As always, our first segment will be spoiler-free, and so you can stick around even if you haven't checked out this novel yet. Let's do some quick introductions. I'm Danielle Hall, an 8th and ninth grade English teacher, and I blog at teachnouvelle.com. And I'm Amanda Thrasher. And we're joined today by Bryn Allison, the literary maven. She teaches in Philadelphia and blogs about books and teaching ideas at theliterarymaven.com. She also co-founded the hugely successful online community of English teachers, Secondary ELA. Welcome, Bryn. Hi, so glad to be here. So today we're going to be talking about The Hazelwood. In The Hazelwood by Melissa Albert, Alice is a 17-year-old girl who's never been able to outrun her bad luck. She and her mother, Ella, have had to leave places at the drop of a hat, and Alice has caught occasional glimpses of what's following them. When Alice's grandmother, a famous yet reclusive author of a book of dark fairy tales, dies, Ella says they'll finally be free of what's chasing them. And no, they'll have nothing to do with her grandmother's creepy estate, the Hazelwood. But when Ella is kidnapped, Alice's only clue is a message her mother left behind, to stay away from the Hazelwood. Now, Alice must join forces with one of her grandmother's fans, Ellery Finch, and journey into the very bad luck she spent her life outrunning. All right, Bryn, start us off. What did you think? So The Hazelwood probably isn't the type of book I usually read. I thought it was a very interesting mix of fantasy and thriller. It had some fairy tale elements thrown in there and also a little bit of magical realism. I really liked that the main character, Alice, was definitely a nod to Alice of Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. Similar to Carol's Alice, I liked that Alice was far from perfect. She could be really impulsive. She was willing to use others to get what she wanted. However, in the end, her mission and her purpose for using people wasn't really selfish. She was trying to save her mother from whatever forces of evil had captured her. Amanda, how about you? I think that Melissa Albert has a really interesting writing style. And that's something that you can either buy into right away and just really enjoy sort of the lush way that she describes things. She uses really interesting comparisons and metaphors throughout most of her writing. And that's something that either you're going to really enjoy or you're really not going to enjoy it, and you're going to find it grating. And you can find that out really quickly. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really cool writing style, and I really loved the beginning of the book and this darkness in Alice that you see not only through her actions and like her cruelty towards people around her, but also just in her observations around the world. I really liked it. I really liked Alice and the writing style, and I thought that it was a great book. I totally agree. I really loved the writing style. I bought in to the writing style. This is precisely the sort of book that I love to read. The writing style really reminded me of Gillian Flynn, just the suspense in the everyday details. For example, Alice works at a coffee shop, and there's something about how Melissa Albert describes the coffee pot and the coffee maker that hints that something is about to happen. And that's just an amazing capacity to create suspense in these everyday details. One of the things I wanted to talk about with the coffee shop was that this is where we find our inciting incident in the novel. This is Alice's first introduction to this world of fairy tales. She sees a man in the coffee shop and recognizes him 
because he is someone who tried to kidnap her when she was six years old. He appears in this coffee shop where here she is, a 17-year-old working, and when he leaves, here's what he leaves. On the table, he'd left an empty cup, a bald napkin, and a feather, a comb, and a bone. The feather was dark gold with a lacy glass green tip. The comb was red plastic. The bone must have come from a chicken, but it had the shape of a human finger bone. It was bleached perfectly clean. The trio was laid out like a hieroglyph, a vague pie shape that impressed itself on my brain as I swept it all into my apron pocket. So this is our launching point into this fairy tale world, even though Alice isn't quite ready to go there yet. Yeah, the coffee shop was a really good example of that. And my my favorite thing that really like switched this over from the real world to the fairy tale and hinterland and all of this sort of thing happened whenever she's with Ellery Finch. She's gone to him when she needed a friend, needed help. And he is a fan of her grandmother's stories and kind of knows all of the stories. And they're walking down the street and just out of nowhere, Ellery like pulls her down and says, that's twice killed Catherine. And I thought that was just such a great moment, not only to talk about the fairy tale breaking through, but also to show us Ellery's character because Ellery was just totally on board with like magic is real and fairy tales are chasing my friend. He saw this person and he immediately said, that's twice called Catherine. Not that looks like her. That could be a cosplayer, anything like that. Just that is her. And I thought that was a really good moment to just break reality and take us into this fairy tale world. Yeah, I really loved Ellery as a character. Bryn, what did you think? So Ellery's character really made me think of the show Gossip Girl, where there's an omniscient narrator sort of poking into everybody's life. And that's sort of who Ellery is. Hmm. He's this well-off but very alone figure that Alice is kind of friends with. There's a possibility of romance there. She's not quite sure how she feels about him, but she comes to depend on him. When her mother disappears, she knows that he's a fan of the hinterland fairy tales, which her grandmother wrote, and she's never actually read. Ellery, it turns out, has read it, had a copy of it that disappeared. So that sort of adds layers to the mystery about this book and what Alice is dealing with. Throughout the book, it's tough to know if you should trust him or not. And Alice struggles with that as well. But she doesn't really have a choice. Right. He's like her Hagrid because he knows about the world that she's about to enter. So he's the gatekeeper figure. So she has to trust him. But definitely because she's so skeptical in nature, she goes back and forth on on whether she should. One thing that comes out of Ellery having been able to read these stories that Alice has not been able to is that Ellery knows a lot more about her grandmother than she does. Her grandmother, according to her mother, abandoned them, doesn't care about them and all of these things. And Alice has always missed that and has always wanted that. And so Finch, in addition to being her gatekeeper to the fairy tale aspect of her life, is also a gatekeeper to her grandmother. And he describes Althea's narrative voice in these stories as pitiless and describes her as a war reporter. He says that he really loved the fairy tales because there was no happy ending and there was no sense of justice. And that's what he needed to reflect the reality that he was living. And Alice is kind of morbidly drawn to Finch's trauma. 
I think that Finch's point about fairy tales is really interesting too, and definitely fits in not only with the hinterlands, but the really dark fairy tale tradition that this draws from. Like, this goes pretty deep cut in its fairy tale references. Like, there's not going to be a Disney movie about Thousand Furs, you know? <laughs> like, uh, so it's uh, it's cool to see like sort of this. Finch is almost the author's voice in a way. Like, dark fairy tales still have this important role, even as things get, like, Disney-fied and happily ever after and lessons mm-hmm. learned. There's still, like, a darkness that people want to explore and want to learn about. Right. I agree. And I was just fascinated by the darkness and Melissa Albert's way to create darkness. Like, throughout the book, we only get three fairy tales, and we get them from Finch. But that, along with the table of contents, are enough to suggest the rest of the world. And I think that that's just so cool. Like, we we have this reveal of the table of contents very early in the novel. It's the only thing that Alice was able to read. And you have stories like The Door That Wasn't There, The Clockwork Bride, Jenny and the Night Women, The Skinned Maiden... The Mother and the Dagger, and of course, Twice Killed Catherine, whom they later meet on the street. That's really exciting and incredible to just have that small detail provide such insight into this whole world. Yeah. Bryn, are you a big like fairy tale person? You said fantasy is not typically what you gravitate towards, but do you have like a background in fairy tale or fantasy? So I, I do like fairy tales, uh, and I like the darker twists to these fairy tales. It made me think of the original fairy tales by the Brothers Grimm. You know, they didn't quite end happily ever after. Right. It wasn't a fairy tale, but in college I read Joyce Carol Oates has a short story called Where Are You Going? Where Have You Been? Mm. And that has a very dark turn to it. And in class, that story was paired with some excerpts from a book called Feminist Fairy Tales by Barbara Walker. And that plays with traditional fairy tales, and they also have some dark twists to it. So for me, this book fell into that sort of category of things that I I do like, even though I'm not a big traditional fantasy fan. Um, I also thought, you know, there's a lot of TV shows that play with this right now. There's Once Upon a Time, Mm -hmm. there's Grimm. So I think readers of the Hazelwood would like those shows, and people who like those shows would like the Hazelwood. Absolutely. And I think that teenagers want this, right? Like Finch, they want the stories that reflect what they're feeling about the world and kind of the ambiguity and the lack of justice, these sorts of things. And then a lot of really great, strong women in this book. Alice is strong because she's the protagonist and she has to be. But the characters in the fairy tales, I mean, twice killed Catherine is not a weak character. Like she's not a nice character, but she's strong. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they would want to be like described as like strong female character. Cause like in the book, one of the things that she says is that I was expecting there to at least be like some kind of feminist bent or something, but no, everyone is just terrible and murders everyone all the time. But everyone murders everyone. Oh yeah. Equality. This is <laughs> hashtag feminism. <laughs> I just wanted to bring up the character of her stepsister. So her mother remarries and it's this sort of gold digger relationship is how it's perceived. She marries a guy who is well-to-do. He has a daughter who is similar in age to Alice, Audrey. Uh, And she's the other character that sort of made me think of the Gossip Girls. You know, she's very popular. Her phone is in her hand. She's witty and cutting. And she and Alice have this relationship where it's not clear, like, 
do they get along? Are they just insulting each other? (laughs) You know, they both have a cynical view, I think, of their parents' relationship, and that keeps some distance between them. But there are these moments where, you know, sort of the hurt breaks through of, of being a child of a single parent or a divorced parent comes through and they really do seem to understand each other. So she's a character that as the book went on, I I kind of missed. I I wish she had played a larger role in it. Yeah, I agree. She was a great character. uh, And I liked their fights. It was a little bit like the the Deadpool fights between like who had (laughs) more trauma in their childhood, except that Audrey's was like, the boat didn't have a hot tub, so I sank it. Like, uh, I thought it was really fun. I liked their relationship too. I agree. She was a great character, and I missed her when Alice went off hurrying, but I love that she was able to kind of help Alice start that journey. You know, she's actually the one that delivered the message. The kidnappers took Alice's mother, stepfather, and Audrey, and then just dumped the stepfather and Audrey, like, out the door, and so Audrey was the last person to see her mom, so she becomes important in that way. And with that, friends, we'll take our first break. And when we come back, we'll share about things we like a latte. Then we'll return to our discussion of the Hazelwood and dig a little deeper. Welcome back, y'all. It's time for things we like a latte. Danielle, what is your brew of choice this week? My thing I like a latte is shave and a haircut. So in this book, Alice refers to someone knocking on the door as being shave and a haircut, which is this. And I never knew that that's what that was called. I had to Google it. (laughs) (laughs) And it just makes me so happy to know that that little knock has a name. What a strange and sheltered life you have led. (laughs) How about you, Bryn? What's a thing you like a latte? So things I like a latte, these are some books that the Hazelwood sort of reminded me of that I liked a lot. And I think readers of the Hazelwood would also enjoy. I'm a big fan of Marissa Myers. She wrote the Lunar Chronicles series, which is sort of a futuristic retelling of fairy tales. Uh, Not quite as dark as the Hazelwood, but I think readers would also enjoy them. However, more recently, she wrote Heartless, which is the story of the Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland. So that was kind of a cool connection to the Hazelwood, because I'm already thinking like Alice, Alice of Wonderland, and then here's in Heartless, the Queen of Hearts, Alice's nemesis. So in Heartless, you learn the backstory of the Red Queen, and she starts out as this young girl who just wanted to open a bakery, and her parents are pushing her into this marriage to the king of hearts that she doesn't want she's in love with someone else i won't spoil the plot of that one but it doesn't work out and that's where her rage comes from so that one has a little darker twist similar to the hazelwood those are my like a lattes what about you amanda so what's making me happy this week is actually a book that I haven't had time to read yet. Uh, it's called Empty Monsters by Kat Hellison. I just got it, and it is the sixth in publication in this world that she has created called The Books of Orin. And the first book that was published was called When the Sea is Rising Red. It was published in 2012, and it is just a wonderful, beautiful, weird little book. It has wonderful descriptions and storytelling. World building is just 
A plus in this book. And I think the people who like the Hazelwood will really like it. Uh, full disclosure, the author is a friend of mine, but I think that this book is really well done and I'm really excited to read this next one. So what's making me happy is Empty Monsters by Kat Hellison and the first book is When the Sea is Rising Red. We're going to take a quick break and when we come back we'll return to our discussion on the Hazelwood. The rest of the show may contain spoilers, so if you're leaving us here, keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. And if you're a teacher or a librarian and you want to know more about this book for an education setting, Check out ideas at teachnouvelle.com slash Podcast. We'll be back after this quick break. This podcast is made possible by Nouvelle ELA Teaching Resources. Find secondary ELA resources to engage and inspire, like creative reading task cards. N-O-U-V-E-L-L-E-E-L-A. Something new. Welcome back, y'all. We're continuing our discussion on The Hazelwood by Melissa Albert. If you haven't read this yet, we want to warn you again that we are going through the halfway wood, and this section will contain spoilers. All right. I wanted to start off, Bryn, by returning to you because you mentioned Finch and how Alice is hesitant to trust him. So what did you think about the way that Finch's story unfolded? So I have to say that I suspected that he did not have entirely altruistic motives in going with her to the hinterland. No, no, yes. Um, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So, you know, to go back to the moment where Toys Killed Catherine shows up, right? All these really weird things are happening, and he's just totally not phased, has no problem, you know, continuing on their journey. A moment that I really liked, which is not particularly sinister, but would have been a red flag for any normal human being, is they spend the night in a motel and they come out the next morning and their car is like filled with water and fish. And he's just like totally fine with that. We'll take the bus. (laughs) Doesn't bother him. So yeah, that was not a total shock to me. But you know, he doesn't totally escape unscathed either. So I felt okay about it. You know, he does kind of die. (laughs) Kind of, kind of die. A little dead, a little bit of death. Um, (laughs) I really like that at the end, Finch chooses to stay in the fairy tale world. That felt so real to me as a super uber fan of Harry Potter and Doctor Who. You know, we have had had serious conversations in our household about what we would do if the TARDIS showed up. You just got to be prepared. Both of us have to go. <laughs> right. <laughs> no. What did you think of once they went into the hinterland? How did that play out for you? So I thought it was interesting how, you know, Alice has no experience with this world, but things are sort of coming to her intuitively. Like she knows, oh, I've got to cross this river She's or I need genre to use savvy. This. Yeah, I need to use this bone to do this. I have to help the old woman. Yeah. You know, I have to make sure that I phrase my bargains very carefully so that they're not used against me. This really reminded me of the Neil Gaiman poem, Instructions. Have you read that one, Bryn? I haven't, no. It's a lot of instructions for how to survive in a fairy tale, you know, like (laughs) stay on the path, ride the wise eagle, and help the old woman. And I I felt like the end of this book was really her being so genre savvy in this fairy tale. And I loved that. 
Yeah, I liked that a lot, but not in the hinterland. I liked that aspect in the halfway wood when she had these three tools that were left to her by the redheaded man and she used them in their best way. But I think that the novel lost steam for me whenever we got to the hinterland. Yeah, I felt like kind of the weirdness of everything worked really well in the halfway wood. And then when we switched to the hinterland, it just seemed to drag on for a long time for me, even though it wasn't like a very big part of the book. I think it was the slowest part for me to get through. I agree. I was surprised as I was rereading it this morning that the hinterland is only like 10 pages, but it, <laughs> it, yeah, it's really not that long. It feels so much longer. Well, and I think the meeting with her grandmother is very anticlimactic. You know, she's she's so built up, I guess, through other people's impressions of her. You know, the interview that Alice has read and seen photos from. And then she just seems really washed out once you meet her. Yeah, I liked that aspect of it, that it was anticlimactic. And I liked when we met Janet and found out that her grandmother was a snake. I thought that was really cool because it was this person that, you know, Alice kind of hoped would sweep them away when she was a kid. And her she mother out to be a bum. Yeah, her mother told her, like, let me disabuse you of this notion <laughs> in the strongest possible terms. Uh, but she didn't believe it until she saw it. And I thought it worked. I thought it was good. And I like this idea of her grandmother having stolen those stories. You know, like her grandmother was just out of college and kind of a tourist in the hinterland. And, you know, instead of leaving nothing but footprints, she like left a bunch of destruction, took the stories, brought them back to her own world and messed everything up forever. I think that's a really interesting take on how we interact with other cultures, you know. Her grandmother was kind of a conqueror in that way. Well, and to go back to your point earlier about strong female characters, you know, she is a strong female character. She's not good. And I think it plays with that notion that females are supposed to be good and do good things. And she's not. You know, she is powerful. She gets what she wants. You know, she does things her way, even though she's not good. Absolutely. So even though I didn't like the way things kind of dragged in the hinterland, I did like the notion of the only way to get out was through going back in and breaking the cycle. I thought that was a an interesting choice. It was cool to see this fairy tale that we had read in Finch's memories as Alice three times through Alice's perspective. Yes. And so she lives this fairy tale several times before they're able to break her out of it and she actually breaks herself out did she do it several times reading it i thought that it was just once she lives that part of the moment the, she doesn't live the whole story right. over and over but the death of the yeah. redheaded man the story is structured in such a way that the redheaded man must die and it must be alice that kills him and so every time that something deviates from that or they try to break free of that narrative constraint the story acts like it rewinds yeah it like acts <laughs> against them so the story becomes this physical thing that cannot be changed until eventually they do change it and I'm glad you said they there because that's the part I didn't really like is she doesn't really change the story. It's only when Janet and Finch show up and help her that she's really able to escape. Right. She does start to, though, like she starts to recognize that she doesn't want to kill the redheaded man. Like she has no interest in killing him. She tries to make the axe do other things. She tries to make the horse go places it's not supposed to go. Yeah, but you're right. She couldn't finish the job until somebody else showed up. And so you did like that or didn't like that, Bryn? I 
I didn't like that. I liked her journey through the halfway wood where she was sort of figuring things out and doing things on her own. And, you know, maybe it just speaks to the strength of those stories that, you know, a character on its own within the story couldn't change it. But, you know, the idea that she really didn't have control, that was unsettling to me. If it had just been her and the redheaded man, they sort of would have been stuck in that cycle of, I don't really want to kill you, but here it goes again. And here we are forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Endless loop. I, I can see that. I can definitely see it both ways. I interpreted it that she needed a little help from her friends. That's our show for today, friends. Thank you to our guest, Bryn Allison. Find Bryn at The Literary Maven. And you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. You can also find us on iTunes. And if you leave us a rating by tomorrow, March 23rd, you'll be entered to win a $50 Barnes & Noble gift card. And if you're a teacher, you can find even more book reviews for educators at teachnewbell.com. Happy reading!